All right, so we are in the sixth chapter of John, and I want to begin this morning by reading, uh, I'm going to go back a few verses, probably to verse 25, and just read through what we're going to read today, okay? So let's start at the beginning, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you, are, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said, to the, they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we might see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And now we get into our verses for this week. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say then, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come unless the father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from my Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life, the bread that I will give for the life of the world, I give it, is my flesh. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would help us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that you would train us, that you would mold us and shape us into your image. Lord, help us as we travail through these deep doctrines that you have given your people. Lord, that we might understand, that we might hold fast, and that they might build us up and edify us in who you are and what you came to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So last week we read... Basically, we read, let me go back and double check, but I want to make sure. Last week, we literally read verse 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, and 40, okay? So last week, the key verses that we dealt with 
were verses 37, 39, and 40. Okay? We must base everything else we read now on understanding these three verses. Okay? Because if we mess up these three verses, everything else that we're going to read from verse 41 to verse 51 is going to be incoherent. Okay? We don't want to run astray when we're reading these things because these are actually very deep doctrines. Okay? So I want to go back and I want to read verse 37. Verse 37 says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now I want to dispel just a couple rumors because so often election is thought of as something to be shunned and oh no that means God's picking and choosing and that well God first of all God has every right to pick and choose he's God but I want you to get what it's saying anyone who comes to him right anyone who comes to him he will no wise cast out amen I don't want you to lose that there are two truths that are being taught. God is absolutely sovereign in the work of salvation. But men truly come. Amen? Amen? This is absolutely what's being taught. Last week, the key verses we dealt with were this verse and then verse 39 and 40. I want to go ahead and read verse 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who has sent me. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Now, I'm pretty sure the King James sounds very familiar. And this is the Father's will which has sent me. Right? That's the King James. This is the Father's will. Anytime Jesus is telling you this is the will of God, it's time to pay attention. Okay, because a whole lot of people go, well, we just don't know God's will and we just don't know God's will. Well, why did he give us a Bible then? Okay, if we if, if we're just supposed to uh, walk around blind and dumb. Why did he have them write it down? Why are we supposed to teach it? Why are we supposed to follow these instructions? Yep. Amen. So when he tells us this is the will of the father, it's pretty important for us to take a note of that. If, you, if you're one of them people that's just really against writing in your Bible, I understand, okay? Make a mental note right here that this says, this is the will of the Father, okay? Verse 39 says it. Verse 40 says it. This is the will of the Father, amen? So I'm going to read them. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Now, this is in context of verse 37. All that the Father has given me will come to me, and no one who comes to me will I cast out. Amen? Amen? Anyone who comes will not be cast out. So we've got to read it in context. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Now verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. This is God's will. God's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes. Okay? This is the human side of this. Now, the problem is we don't understand that God knows who that is. Because in verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me. So the Father knows this number, okay? Let me, let's talk about this for a second because we have this idea in modern Christianity that God is waiting on bated breath just like you and I are. Think about it. Every church service you ever saw and the, the music was played just right and everybody's hearts were so tender and, and they did the altar call and people came forward and they were weeping and they were crying and we're all going, oh, isn't this marvelous that these people are turning to God? All the while not understanding that God is not mystified by this. Amen. God is not surprised by it. 
The fact of the matter is, is if God is all-knowing, which the Bible says he is, over and over and over, God knows the end from the beginning. Not only knows it, he's declared the end from the beginning. God's not surprised by anyone who comes to him. Why? Because the Father, verse 44, is the one that draws them to the Son. You get this? God did not come down here with some haphazard plan that may or may not work. Jesus didn't come down here to, to die on the cross and hope that somebody would be saved. He knew who he died for. He knew who would be saved. He knows them. He said, my sheep know my voice. Here's the, here's the kicker. If he said, my sheep, then they know my voice. That means the shepherd already knows who the sheep are. Yeah, amen. amen? It's very important for us to understand this, okay? Because there's a, you know, Paul talks over and over in the New Testament about a mystery. The mystery of salvation. Here's the mystery of salvation, okay? God's sovereign in salvation, yet men freely and of their own volition come to God. I don't know how it works. I don't know how God, I, but I do know God orchestrates it. Not one person on the face of the earth ever came to God before God came to them. Never happens. Just doesn't happen. Every salvation story sounds like this. I was living my life and I was utterly sinful and did not care about God I was not looking for God and then all of a sudden every one of us like Paul has a Damascus Road experience amen so as I begin I want to start with a, a note from the ESV study Bible, it says this, verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, this note is very important, so I want you to pay close attention to what it says, okay? This verse implies that people should never think, maybe I'm not chosen by God, and therefore, Jesus will reject me when I come to him. Jesus promises to receive everyone who comes to him and trusts him for salvation. Yet a few verses later in verse 44, Jesus states the paradoxical and the corresponding truth that once people come to Jesus, they will realize that behind their willing decision to come and believe lies a mystery. The invisible work of the Father who all along was drawing them to Christ. Amen. See Romans 9, Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. What's Ephesians 1, 3 through 6? But, hold on, let's go read it. I, I want to get this. I want you to get it, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace and uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved very important very important for us to understand god's purpose was tied to his gracious love to his gracious purpose amen God did not come down here with a haphazard plan. God came down here with a purposeful plan in Christ Jesus. To win all of those who believe. Period. 
verse 39 says that he should lose none of them. Amen. Amen. This speaks to Jesus and his work of atonement. Let's go ahead. I got one more note that I want to read on this verse, okay? All that the Father gives me. Those persons who God chose in eternity for the Son to save and who he calls to the Son by the word and the Spirit shall come to me. God's election and calling produce faith in Christ. I will in no wise cast out. Christ will never reject any sinner that comes to him in faith. Ever. So when we teach election, we cannot teach it as some coercion against people's will. Amen? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. I want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Christ will not die in vain. His Father gave him a certain number to be the reward of his soul travail, and he will have every one of them. Almighty grace will sweetly constrain them all to come. My father recently gave me some letters that I wrote to him when I began to preach. They are almost boyish epistles, but in reading through them again, I noticed one of them, I noticed in one of them this expression, how I long to see thousands of men saved, but my great comfort is that some will be saved. Some must be saved. They shall be saved, for it is written, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Many treat election as it's such a limited, exclusive, meager number. Granted, these verses, and this verse in particular, does speak to the exclusiveness of the gospel in that only those who believe will be saved. Amen? The prerequisite. What's the prerequisite? Jesus said it a couple weeks ago. We read it. If you turn back, he says, so they said to him, what, is, uh, what, uh, what should we be doing to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them. This is verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Our part is to believe. Amen. And anyone who believes, anyone who looks to the sun, anyone who comes, anyone who's hungry, anyone who's thirsty, amen? Yes, amen. They will be filled. They will be satisfied. They will be saved. Yes. Amen? amen? We must not confuse election with exclusion. Not when it's innumerable number. Uh, hey, man, don't be stealing my thunder, man. Don't be stealing my thunder. I'm going there. I'm going there. Exactly right. That's exactly right, though. Many treat election as such a limited, exclusive, meager number. Granted, this verse and these verses do speak of the exclusivity of the gospel in that only those who believe will be saved. We should not think this is a meager number or even that election is exclusive only to that you people because in Revelation 7 9 this group of people is so vast that it cannot be counted by man notice the caveat now that's important you guys don't think that's important but let's go to Revelation 7 9 and I want to show you uh, why this is important okay let me show you why it's important. Brian, you, I don't know how, this must be that twin thing, okay, that you, that you were on the same page I was, okay? Revelation 7, 9. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. I want you to understand that there's not a number 
The reason it says that no man could number. Now that word man there is human, human being, mankind, okay? There's, this number is so vast that mankind, even as great as he is at mathematics, as great as he is at science, there's not a number big enough that we can think of that will eclipse this group of people. But God being infinite knows the number because he said, my sheep hear my voice and they will follow no other. That's important. It's important for us not to confuse election with exclusion because it is not exclusive in that way. The only exclusiveness in election is those who believe and those who don't believe. Amen? Amen. In Revelation 7, 9, we see the exclusive, or the inclusiveness, excuse me, we see the inclusiveness of the atonement's work. Where the elect number is so vast that no man could number them, surely there are those who will not believe, who do not and will reject Christ. They reject the bread of life, who hear the gospel and do not believe. So to this, we must entrust to God his divine prerogative as sovereign Lord and God. For he does all things good. And his judgment is perfect. And he who knows all things and judges all things judges them rightly. So as we read this, these three verses, verse 37, 38, or yeah, verse 37, 39, and 40, these three verses give us our basis of what we're going to read today. Okay, I told you I had a long introduction. But it's important for us to understand what the Bible is teaching and what the Bible isn't teaching. Amen? Because although the Bible does exclusively teach that God is sovereign even over salvation, men freely come to him. And anyone who comes to him, he will not cast out. Amen? We, huh? And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen. Amen. So verse 39 and 40 tells us that the will of God is this. Those given by the Father, those who see the Son, those who believe on Him, they have eternal life and He will raise them up at the last day. This is the will of God. This bread from heaven, this bread of life that must be consumed. All who hunger, all who thirst, all who come, all who believe will not be denied. We, we spend so much time, especially in Calvinistic circles, that we, we want to talk about this election thing. And we want to make sure you're not leaving it out of the Bible. That we kind of forget the other half of these verses and don't teach that this is not exclusivity. Amen. Jesus is inclusive and this number of the elect is so vast that there's not enough, there's not a calculator big enough on this planet that can calculate the number of those people. Every tribe, every tongue, every people. Amen? God is not exclusive. The only thing exclusive is you believe or you don't believe. Amen? Let's get it right. Verse 41, I want to start right here. Yeah, I just, I just started, I know. Verse 41, I told you I had a two-page introduction, okay? I warned everybody, okay? I warned you, okay? 24-minute introduction? I have no idea how I'm going to preach this little 20-minute sermon at Josh's place. I have no idea how it's going to happen, okay? Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread come down from heaven. Like Israel in the desert, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, verse 7 and 9, 
Exodus 15, 24, Israel had already been, look what Israel had got, led out of Egypt by ten plagues, okay? Then they got led out by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day, and they came to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea was parted, and they walked across on dry land. They were eating manna that was come down from heaven every morning. They gather enough up for them to eat. Yet we read in Exodus 15, 24, they were grumbling. In Exodus 16, verse 2, verse 7 through 9, they're grumbling. It is clear that these Jews that are grumbling uh, against Jesus, the parallels in this chapter of the bread of life and the manna in the wilderness are unmistakable. And I would throw in that these Jews who were there grumbling like the other Jews is unmistakably in reference to that Old Testament time. Verse 42, look at how they respond. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Isn't this funny? Look, I understand what Jesus is going through. I'm going to give you just an example from my own perspective. This is not a very good analogy, but it's from my perspective. I was born in Coffeeville. I was raised in Coffeeville. And no matter what I do, no matter how long I've been preaching now for, I've been ordained for 17 years, 18 years, 19 years. I can't remember now, Mike. How long have we been friends, Mike? 19 years? So I've been ordained 18 years. I've been preaching 24, 25 years. But to some people, I'm just Kevin. Doesn't matter what God does in me, through me, for me, nothing. To some people, I'm just Kevin. Jesus is facing this problem. Now, Jesus is far greater than I, so this is, like I said, it's not a very good analogy because he's the Christ, the son of the living God, God in the flesh, right? But all they saw him as is Joseph and Mary's son. That's all they saw him as. Note their question. How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Because they do not see Jesus like Peter and John and James and Thomas see Jesus. They don't see Jesus for who he is. Let's talk about how Peter and John and James and them see Jesus. In verse 68 and 69 of this very chapter, I want you to flip ahead. We're going to get ahead of ourselves, okay? Verse 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you see? They didn't just see him as Jesus, Mary and Joseph's son. Turn with me to John 1. 1. This is the Apostle John who wrote this gospel that we're reading. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Do you see? They see Jesus as God. Matthew. Go to Matthew. I believe it's chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Well, let's go to verse 20. Uh, Yeah, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, this is Joseph, 
Mary's husband, right? Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place that was uh, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be conceived and bear a son, and shall, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. It's very important. We have John the Apostle saying Jesus is God in the flesh. We have Peter saying that he is God, the Holy One of God. First of all, calls him Lord. This word Lord in English, <laughs> translated in Hebrew, is Yahweh. <laughs> Amen? If you go to John chapter 20, verse 28. This is Thomas, after he has stuck his finger in Jesus' hand and stuck his hand in Jesus' side. Thomas, who was the doubter, who would not believe unless he saw. And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord, my God you see these grumbling people grumbled because they didn't know who it was that was standing right in front of them they saw they heard they even ate when he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish they ate those fish and they ate those loaves and they saw the miracle but it didn't change their heart. Nothing happened on the inside for God's Son to be revealed to them because they were unbelieving. I want to note that Jesus absolutely puts their unbelief on them. We'll get there in a minute. They don't see him as Peter. James, John, Matthew, Thomas, see Jesus. Verse 43, he says, don't grumble among yourselves. I want to give you Kevin O'Connor's interpretation from Exodus chapter 15, verse 24, and Exodus 16, 2, and Exodus 16, 9, or 7 through 9. Don't grumble against God. Amen. Amen. Stop grumbling against God. If you truly believe in Christ, stop grumbling Amen. against God. Those who come to trust in Christ are not those who grumble at the thought of humble submission to Christ. Those who trust in Christ are not those who grumble at bowing down to this Jesus of Nazareth. Those who come to Christ and trust in him are not those who grumble at his sacrifice. They do not grumble at self-denial. They do not grumble at repentance. They do not grumble at the thought of dining on the bread of life, seated at the master's table. They do not grumble. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, this is the key verse right here that we have to tie in to the understanding that we started with. This is tied in grammatically with verse 39 and 40. Look at how it ends. Look how it ends. It says, in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, this is repeating what was said in verse 39 and 40. Grammatically, they're trying to teach the same message. Amen? So we cannot dis just read this verse out of context. Can't just take this verse and make it mean what we want it to mean. We have to take it and apply it to the understanding that we have from verse 37, 
39 and 40. Amen? Now, the truth is, does God, is God sovereign in salvation? Yes, no one ever comes to God except God first moves on their heart. Truth. But that's not exclusive. That's not exclusive. It is inclusive. Verse 44 in the ESV study Bible says, No one can come to me. Means no one is able to come to me. This word dynami means to be able. This implies that no human being in this world on his own has the moral and spiritual ability to come to Christ unless the Father draws him. That is, gives him the desire, the inclination to come and the ability to place trust in Christ. See verse 37 and chapter 12 verse 32. This is a very important discussion. I want to read one more little verse no one can come to me. God's grace is necessary in order to produce faith because sinners are spiritually dead. They're unable to trust in Christ in their own, on their own accord. They have to be drawn. The verb means to powerfully and effectively pull. It is here applied that God's effectual calling of sinners to Christ. Every sinner who ever comes to Christ is come, is come because they are drawn by God. Now, the Bible also says this. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Amen? Amen. So, the calling is good. Yeah. Now, people go, oh no, pastor, that means you, you still got to preach the gospel to these people. Uh, does that mean you just there's some people you just don't preach the gospel to? Nope. Because here's the thing. Jesus is preaching the gospel to these men. And he still says, you've heard, but you won't believe. Now watch this. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now I never put this together, and I want you to get it, Mike, because you'll like this too, okay? Uh, me and Mike have had history researching this very subject, okay? Jesus' ministry fulfills the prophetic vision that one day all people would be taught by God. Isaiah 54, verse 13, and Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34, where he says, I will put my law in their heart, cause them to walk in my way, and no more shall one have to be said, taught. Teach his brother, know God, know God, because they'll know me from the least to the greatest. Because here's the thing. Preaching declares the word of God, but how many people have heard the word of God and walked away and never received it? Because preaching itself does not produce faith. Only God moving on the heart of a sinner will cause a sinner to know God. Period. End of story. Amen. How do I know that? Verse 44. Amen. Verse 37. And then, no, it wasn't me. Or you. Or you. Or you. Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God has seen the Father. And we know this exclusively is talking about Jesus because of John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. Amen. Now, verse 47, truly, truly. Now, we've talked about this several times just in this chapter. He said this over and over. This truly, truly, or in the King James, it says verily, verily. In the Greek, it says amen and amen. Amen? Amen. Now, when it starts a, 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 a discussion with amen and amen, what he's saying is, this is true. This is true. Listen. Yep. Amen? Amen? Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes has eternal life. Do you see the dynamic that's going on here? We are struck by this, 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 these doctrines that are being taught that God is, 
God is author of salvation. He's eternal and, and, and he is sovereign at the work of salvation. But over and over and over and over, we have these phrases, these, these, these uh, uh, prepositions that are saying anyone, everyone. Amen? Amen? Why? Because the gospel is not exclusive. It is inclusive. The only exclusion is that you don't believe. Amen? Amen? The only exclusion is that you don't believe. Truly, I tru truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. Now this harkens back to earlier in the chapter when he said, work or labor for food that doesn't perish. Amen. Those men were laboring for food that would never sustain them. They were laboring for meat that would never give them eternal life. Jesus is telling them exclusively that they ate this bread. They trusted in this bread. But if you would come and dine on the bread of life, me. Verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And this and the bread that I will give for the life of the whole world is my flesh. Now, here's the thing. Everybody goes, man, he's talking all these metaphors, and he's saying, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes and eats, how, what in the world is he talking about? Because that's what the Pharisees do in the next chapter, or in the next few verses that we're going to go over next week. They're going, how can he say, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life? That sounds kind of gross. What's he talking about? Remember how we have to take everything in context? If you go right back in this chapter to verse 28, he answers your question. So how is it that we dine on the bread of life? How is it that we come and seat ourselves at the master's table and eat of the bread of life? They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answers them in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. How do I dine on the bread of life? How do I sit and sup at the master's table? It is only by faith. It is only by belief in Christ Jesus. We go back to John 3.16. He said, God so loved the world that... He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him Amen. shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus has just now got through saying, I am the bread of life. He just got through saying, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. So we answer this question with Jesus' own words in verse 29. Belief in Christ is how I obtain the bread of life. That's how I dine. That's how I eat. That's how I eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's by faith Amen. in Christ alone. Amen? This is, it's a mystery, but it's not some deep hidden thing that God does not want people to know. I hate it when preachers act like the gospel is so mysterious that nobody, oh, well, you just don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, the gospel is supposed to be simple enough that a two-year-old, when they hear it, can know the truth and come to salvation. The gospel is supposed to be so simple that even children can say, I believe in this Jesus and I want him. Why do we try to make it so complicated? Is there complicated things going on here? Is Jesus telling us some complicated truth? Yes, but guess what? We're never going to be able to understand it all. I'm never going to be able to understand how God is sovereign over all things, including salvation, yet people still have a free will and come to him freely of their own free will. 
but that is surely what happens. Amen? This verse must be seen in light. These verses must be seen in light of verse 37, 39, and 40. As we discussed already, those who are drawn will come, but also truly will be willing and readily come, and they will truly believe. And though they be drawn, it is not a forced drawing. It is not something against their own conscience to do so. They are truly coming, and they are truly doing their own believing, just as Christ credits those who do not believe that the fault lies within them. Where do we see this at? Well, verse 26, verse 36, we see Jesus saying this. Let's look at verse 26. What does he say? He says, and they answered him, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's telling them their motives are wrong. Amen? Now, verse 36, he says this, But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Do you see that he lies, the, the, the fault of their unbelief lies with them, not with God. Therefore, your believing and your coming is still lied within you. It is given to you, but it's still within you. And you truly come, and you truly do your own believing. This is not some forced mechanical robotism. Amen. 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 There is there a mystery here in God's sovereignty and in man's free choice? Certainly. And only God knows those who are his. Don't get weighed down in this mystery Preach Christ, trust Christ, and let God deal with his part. Because the reality of these verses that we should stress is this. Over and over and over, it tells us, anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. Anyone who comes, anyone who looks to the Son and believes will be saved. Anyone who has faith in me who believes in me has eternal life amen it should never cause christians to go oh no i wonder if i'm one of those the fact that you trust christ means you're his sheep and anyone who trusts him anyone who comes to him anyone who declares christ lord of their life who comes faith in faith believing in christ will not be cast out A lot of people go, well, preacher, why do you spend so much time explaining all this stuff? Why, why don't you just preach that from the very beginning? Because the Bible doesn't do that. Amen? Amen. And if it's in the Bible, I made a determination a couple years ago, I'm going to preach right through the Bible. I'm not going to skip the hard parts. I'm not going to go around the stuff that's hard to explain. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because we will not grow in our faith if we just pick and choose what we want to believe in the Bible. We must believe the whole word of God or nothing at all. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. That the person, the man, the woman of God will be fully equipped for every good work. Amen. Do you want to be fully equipped? Do you want to be fully furnished for every good work? King James language for you, Mike. If you want to be fully furnished for every good work, we need to read the whole Bible and not let anything go by us. Amen? We need to learn it. We need to live it. We need to know it. We need to preach it. We need to tell other people about it. But what we can't do, what I caution you to do, what I caution you not to do, don't make this chapter some reason why somebody can't come to Christ because that's not what it's written for it is, it is written to let you know wholeheartedly that since God's in control of your salvation you can trust him Amen. you can believe him you can trust him that it will not fail in doing what he promised he would do 
Amen? And if you trust Christ, you can trust him wholeheartedly knowing that he never casts out anyone who comes to him in faith. Amen? That should be the driving force of this chapter because that's what's said over and over and over and over. Amen? So yes, there's a mystery here. But it's not exclusive. Very much inclusive to anyone who would believe. Amen? Let's stand. want to remind everybody that we have fellowship dinner every Sunday. And if you, you don't even have to come to church most of the time. I mean, we'd rather you come to church. But if you want to come and eat dinner with us, Every Sunday after church, we have dinner. Amen. So before we leave, I want to pray for the meal, but I also want to pray for you. Father God, we ask you right now. Lord, we ask that you would help us. That you would enlighten us, embolden us. That you would sharpen us. That you would give us your spirit without hindrance. God, that we would be fully equipped for every good work. Lord, help us to where we can't quite grasp all these mysteries, God, that we can trust you with them. And know that you are over all, in all, and through all. And that we do, we do the simplest thing, and that is trust Christ in everything. Lord, I ask that you would help those that are in this room today or watching on Facebook who haven't trusted you, God. I pray that you would work on their heart and in their life, that they would come to saving faith, that they would come to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, that they would turn their life back to you, that you might give them eternal life. Lord, I pray for those who do believe and are in this room or on Facebook, God, that you would continue to mold us and shape us into your image. That we might be built up with all the saints to a glorified church that is ready, willing, and able to do the work that God has sent us to do for the glory of Christ and for his glory alone. Lord, we ask that you would bless the meal that we're about to partake of, the fellowship that we're going to enjoy. Lord, that you would help us as we continue to worship you to to remember that we may be leaving this room, but we never, ever leave your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.